Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, strong and powerful Rianca Dorsonville. Rianca, are you ready to do this? I am ready, George. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Let's do this. Rianca is a certified financial planner. She is the founder and president of Your Greatest Contribution. She is a CFP Pro spokesperson and the creator and host of 2050 Trailblazers, a podcast addressing diversity and inclusion within the financial industry. I'm excited to have you on. Rianca, tell us some more about your work and why you do what you do. Yes, I am the founder and president of Your Greatest Contribution. I'm actually just celebrating three years. So, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Excited about that. Uh, My firm is virtual, 100% virtual, because I wanted to um, make it convenient for people to work with me. I didn't want location or or time to be a barrier. The um, clientele that I uh, work with or attract, I would say, is, um, you know, those who are in their late 20s, uh, 30s and 40s. And so they are the movers and shakers. They are the thriving young professionals who are trying to climb the corporate ladder or they're building businesses and they they honestly don't have time to come and drive to see me. And so why not make it convenient and um, just have video conferencing? So that's how I've built my practice is 100% virtual. Even paperwork is 100%. Um, I live on the cloud. I like to say anywhere I have my book bag is my office. Nice. Yeah, you might as well take advantage of technology, right? Oh, absolutely. And I am really excited because here soon I'll be heading to Santiago, Chile to visit some of my family. And I'm just taking my laptop with me. And uh, if I need to do some work, it's, it's it's no sweat, right? I can just pop open my laptop. I love it. The other side of that coin is it's a double-edged sword. You might feel like you're oh. obligated to be working when you're down there, but I'm, I'm sure that you'll manage. Yes. And, um, I've let my, I have a very close knit, uh, group of clients and I let them know, uh, ahead of time, I sent out an email, um, you know, a few weeks ago just saying, Hey, I'll be out of the office for two and a half weeks. Um, you know, try to schedule a meeting with me before we, if, before I go, if you need anything. And everyone was just so, it's so surprising. Um, you know, they were just like, Hey, don't email us. We may email you while you're out just to, you know, have it in your world when you get back, but please do not email us back. Don't email us back. And I, I was it. like, I, yeah, I was like, I have some awesome clients. So when I'm not working on um, clients or or helping my clients kind of run the world, I uh, host a podcast called 2050 Trailblazers. Um, and as you mentioned, it is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, I strongly believe if that we are going to be a profession that is going to continue to grow and thrive, we have to start our, our, our you know, colleagues and um, professionals need to start looking like the America that we're growing into, which is a beautiful mosaic. Yeah, I, I appreciate that wholeheartedly. And uh, it'd be interesting to see um, how long it takes for for it to transform into that beautiful mosaic. Perhaps, perhaps you have thoughts on that. 
<laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I will let you know that I believe the financial planning profession, just think about what we do, right? As professionals, we work with clients um, and we sit and we ask them about their goals, about their dreams, their desires, and we sit and listen, right? And we are in a profession of making sure that people have the great financial foundation, um, can achieve their goals, et cetera. We are in a helping profession. So what other profession other than that, other than ours, is in a better position to show the world how we can become a truly diverse, culturally sensitive and, uh, you know, inclusive profession. I believe we are going to blaze the trail to show other industries like, you know, doctors, lawyers, et cetera, um, how, how to do it. That's what I call, call me, you know, optimistic, but that's, that's what I strongly believe. Well, I think that that's awesome, and it's it strikes me that uh, that the industry is is gaining in in popularity, and people are more drawn and attracted to it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that means that uh, that people from every walk of life and every, every background are also drawn to it. So I know that that that, that we had talked um, in preparation for today's show about the unique challenges and opportunities facing uh, first generation wealth builders. So mm-hmm. just wanted to get your your thoughts on that and I guess start off by talking about what a first generation wealth builder is. Yes. In my eyes, a first generation wealth builder is uh, someone who's a professional who is in a position to actually build and amass wealth. Um, And typically they are first generation college graduates. And I know um, this story all too well because I am a first generation college graduate and I started out earning both of my parents by the age of 26. And I come from a community where it honestly took a village to raise me. And so um, while it took a village to raise me, when I started earning this enormous amount of money that I've never seen <laughs> before and and I did not have to live paycheck to paycheck, I felt almost obligated that I needed to support all of those who supported me in the process, in the journey through high school, through college. It wasn't just myself. And thank goodness I'm a financial planner because I quickly had to put my financial planner hat on and start to think, you know, if I'm going to truly be able to be in a position to help other people, I have to first be in a position to help myself. And what that means is that I have to build a strong financial foundation so that when, you know, relatives or friends ask me for financial help or financial assistance, I'm in a position to be able to say, yes, here you are without expecting anything in return. Um, and so typically, usually we, we loan family members money and around Thanksgiving time, you know, they're trying to avoid us because they still owe us 200 bucks or 250 bucks and they don't want to say they don't have it. Right. And so it's this tension that grows around loaning, um, money to family members or friends that, you know, and if you're not in a position to actually give, you're harming yourself financially because then you're your financial, I guess, security is based on if this person can pay you back or not. And so I started to, 
again, I guess, attract clients who are first generation wealth builders as well, who are first generation college graduates, who are just trying to figure out this way of navigating this new landscape of money and wealth and building it. And I always say, I don't care if you're a thousandaire or a millionaire, everyone needs a budget. And um, what I help uh, these clients with is truly building out a budget. Every dollar needs a job, whether it's to be saved, spent, or, um, or to pay off debt. And what I encourage um, these clients to do, which I started to do for myself early on, was create a family fund. And it's a, it's, it's a line item. It's not a separate account. It's just a line item. I use YNAB, which is also called You Need a Budget. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely love YNAB. This is not a paid endorsement. Um, I, I would endorse them for free. Like that's how much I love them. But um, so I use YNAB and I, I train and, and teach my clients um, to go through YNAB as well. And so what I share with them is that Anytime you get paid and you have some extra money, again, you've taken care of your needs first, just, just earmark some money for the family fund. And when a family member asks for money, a sibling asks for money, you can give without expecting anything in return because you see right there, you actually have money to give. Now, once that turns zero, you can say no and not feel any guilt around saying no. Just because you have, let's say, $10,000 in your savings account and a family member is asking for money, you can say no because that money that has been earmarked for family is gone. And so when you are giving money away that you have earmarked towards paying off debt, saving saving for a vacation that you've worked very hard for, you are saying no to yourself, and so what I train clients is, I mean, if we, we know this when we fly is that the flight attendant says, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on others. Right. And so that's what I'm training my clients to do is to put their oxygen mask on first, be in a very strong financial position so that when others ask for help, you can give without expecting anything in return. I, I think that that makes all the sense in the world. I think that that's, that's, that's great so that they know, hey, I'd like to be able to help, but I'm just not in a position to do so. And you can say right. that from a place of absolute honesty and, and a place yes. of so. Yeah, because, and, and it helps when you have goals. If you don't have goals, you are kind of just like haphazardly just giving away money that you probably can't right. afford to give away. And so um, build goals, uh, you know, set or set some goals, built some, um, the finances around those goals. And that's something that I had to learn for myself is I would feel guilty when I would say no, but I would see money in my bank. And now, um, through just learning this, um, the technique of just having a family fund and budgeting out uh, my cash flow, I can say no and feel actually okay about it and, and not have any type of guilt. Yeah. I appreciate that. I would have to, I, I, I imagine that a part of a part of giving people money and you understand that, hey, I'm, I'm giving this with no expectation that it's going to come back to me. Do you counsel them to have a conversation to let people know that or or, or I guess it's probably case by case. You say, you know what, I, I don't have a timeline on when you need to pay me back, but I expect you to pay me back at some point. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and so just my client knows that if they give the money that they can actually afford to give it. And if the family member or friend does not give it back, then they, it's actually money that they can afford to give. Now, if the, if the friend or family member actually pays it back, that's just, it just goes back to the family fund. Honestly, it. it gets recycled. Um, and so also, uh, something where I noticed that there are repetitive, um, family members who keep asking for money. I, I then start to train my client around talking about what this money is being used for, um, because we don't want to become enablers exactly. and have fa- family members or friends um, rely on us for their financial security, um, because that's no good as well. And so when we, when a client shares that, you know, such and such is, you know, they keep coming back and I, and I actually think they are just dependent on me to get through month by month. And I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's talk about this and let's figure out how we can, when you are actually giving this money to the family member that you're actually talking about what is being used for asking them, do they have a budget? And, you know, so it's, it's, it's education that goes around loaning money as well. Um, not just, you know, a handout of like, here you go. For sure. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And and I think we all know that successful relationships are predicated on having on really understand what the expectations are. So if you have mm-hmm. somebody in your family where they have this really high expectation that every time that I talk to Rianca and I ask her for money, she's going to give it to me. That's out of whack. That's not helpful. And it's also not helpful if I'm giving somebody money and I have no expectation that they're ever going to pay me back because that's also really damaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So making sure that we are are managing those expectations so that we don't have those icy conversations or lack of conversations around Thanksgiving or the holidays is pretty (laughs) important. So absolutely. I don't, I don't want family members to avoid me and, and I I don't want my family, I don't want uh, family members to avoid my clients either. (laughs) For sure. I wanted to come back on the, on the importance of increasing diversity in, in the industry, diversity and inclusion. Um, and get get your thoughts on on how the industry can do a better job of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it comes down to culture uh, competency, and I think we can all just do a, a better job and and um, be very intentional about learning about our colleagues. Um, it goes with um, the same level of curiosity that we bring to client meetings um, that we can start bringing into our offices and our firms and organizations and just learning about um, our colleagues, their background, where they come from. And um, I, I think that is a very easy first step of just increasing your cultural competency. Okay, got it. I think that makes sense. And any other ideas or, or just thoughts on, on how to make the industry more attractive to, to the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the, the people that aren't currently in it? Yeah. So, you know, I, it, it honestly comes down to um, awareness. I, I just think a lot of people don't know about uh, the financial planning as a profession, we all know about insurance agents and there's, you know, insurance agents who they can, 
put on and and take off the hat of financial advisor. And it's confusing from a consumer perspective, from a potential candidate to come in or a professional to come in as a, um, you know, financial, as financial planning as a career, not just, you know, something that they do when it's convenient. Um, and so just bringing awareness around the career uh, in financial planning that there are organizations and firms that actually have career paths for this person. You know, we have job titles <laughs> and um, sharing uh, the huge um, benefits from a salary perspective, from an employee benefit perspective. And um, yeah, I, I think awareness and, and we can do that by going into uh, diverse um, universities and colleges that um that have a very high population of minorities, such as HBCUs, which is historically uh, black colleges and universities, um, uh, universities that have a high concentration of Latinx uh, students, um, Asian American students, um, and you know the many facets of diversity that we have here in America. So, I think you know, and, and again, just going in and, and sharing what it is that we do um, and the myths, <laughs> how financial planning is or financial advising is just about investments. As we know, as financial right. planners, it's just one sixth of what we do. And so I like to explain it as a pie chart. And if you look at the entire pie, investments is just a slice of what we can provide to uh, clients. Um we also provide guidance around education planning, retirement planning, uh, employee benefits, tax planning, estate planning, et cetera. Um, and so just bringing that awareness will definitely help as well. And then also just having, um, you know, it, it's the awareness I think is there. The, the CFP board is doing an, an awesome job with their um, recent campaign that was released um, a couple months ago. Um, where I've, I see it literally everywhere now <laughs> on CNN and different, um, channels and even on NPR, I was, you know, listening to the radio the other day. I'm like, Hey, that's, that's me. That's what I do. Nice. Uh, so it's always cool to hear, um, those, uh, those, uh, those ads or, or, or promotions and, and seeing the commercials on TV. And so while I think it's awesome that we're bringing awareness, we also need to focus our attention as well on retention, like how are we going to retain these diverse professionals when we when they get here? Um, how can we make sure that it is an inclusive environment? And which is one of the reasons why I started 2050 Trailblazers, um, the podcast and platform, so that we can have these conversations. They are, they are um, very direct and honest conversations that we're having on this podcast. And it's so beautiful because even on some episodes, you can just hear the guests learning and growing as we're having dialogue of these aha moments. And it's just beautiful. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's... Um, just lack of awareness and from a cultural competency, a cultural competency standpoint as well, that until we have these conversations, until you expand your network to include um, uh, diverse professionals and colleagues, um, then you are missing out. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uriaka, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? My tip for you as a financial planner is everyone needs a budget. 
I don't care if your client is a thousandaire or a millionaire, help them create a budget that aligns with their values and goals and you will keep a client forever. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. Rianca, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yes, you can go to 2050trailblazers.com. You can also go to riancadorsonville.com. Also, I'm on social media with the handle of Rianca underscore D. That's R-I-A-N-K-A underscore D. Um, tweet me, tag me, say hi. I would love to chat. Awesome. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Rianca your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to 2050trailblazers.com. Go to RiancaDorsonville.com. Follow her on social media. Thank you again, Rianca. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.